A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, Take care not to perform righteous deeds in order that people may see them. Otherwise, you will have no recompense before your heavenly Father. When you give alms, do not blow a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets to win the praise of others. Amen, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your almsgiving may be secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will repay you. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, who love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on street corners so that others may see them. Amen, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go to your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will repay you. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. They neglect their appearance, so that they may appear to others to be fasting. Amen, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you may not appear to others to be fasting, except to your Father who is hidden. And your Father, who sees what is hidden, will repay you. The Gospel of the Lord. We have in our first reading today the remarkable and justly famous account of the great prophet Elijah being taken up by the flaming steeds and chariot as he walks with his disciple, the prophet Elisha, who will succeed him in his ministry. And in our reading, we're presented with what to our modern ear can sound odd. As the prophet and his disciple are walking along, we hear that they are being followed by what are referred to as 50 guild prophets. That's a lot of prophets. 50. And this expression, guild prophets, cuts against the grain of some of our common and naive associations of what it is to speak of prophecy in the scriptures. We have this idea that a prophet is a solitary, single individual called by God to go forth, but that is not the reality. 
In fact, we see through the scriptures the examples of a couple different kinds of prophetic figure. There are, for example, the court prophets. Nathan, who famously figures into the story of King David, is one such figure. The holy man of God who has an office at the court to discern the will of God to help guide the king. Not simply a man called out of nowhere, but someone with a position and a station. And then there were the schools or the guilds of the prophets. And that is what we see referred to with that mysterious expression, the 50 guild prophets, who are following behind these other two prophets who didn't belong to the guild. Because on a certain level, prophecy was also a profession. And they supported themselves by prophesying, by offering spiritual advice that often involved telling rulers or the people what they wanted to hear. And if we think about it, and we, you know, and we just reflect upon the contemporary experience of religious witness in the world today, we see that this has never gone away. And there are still those who function as guild prophets, those designated religious voices who on one end of the political spectrum or the other end of the sp political spectrum speak out to affirm the political belief with the veneer of religious witness and prophetic truth. This type is alive and well today. It's never gone away. There are those then who, as scripture will refer to, earn their bread by prophesying. And this is not to say that all of the guild prophets were inauthentic or hypocritical, but it was a problem. And so then there are those for whom prophecy is a job. And then there were those others those others who belonged to no guild, who came invoking an experience of the Spirit, an experience of the Lord, and the majority of them were false and self-appointed. So one of the issues that runs through Scripture is there are many, many prophets, but few of them who are true. There are many whom society gives the title prophet. There are many who have the profession of prophet. There are many who present themselves as prophets. And then there are those whom the Spirit of God has actually raised up from time to time from the court of the king, like Nathan the prophet. From time to time, out of the temple, like Isaiah the prophet. From time to time, out of doing something else, like Amos the prophet. And so we have here Elijah, whose credentials are unambiguous, who has gone forth in the power of the Lord and who has a disciple that he did not choose for himself, but that the Lord indicated to him. 
And as they are moving, Elijah knows his time of ministry is coming to an end. And he moves with his young disciple, Elisha. And the movement of these two men, the great prophet, truly spirit-filled, who has labored so heroically for the Lord, and the disciple who is learning from him, are followed by the guild prophets, who are curious about them, fascinated by them, but do not share that spirit. And so as they walk and they are being followed and we hear they stop facing each other, two men on one side, 50 on the other, the Jordan River next to them. Elijah the prophet takes his mantle off, rolls it up, and slaps the river with his mantle. And just as happened earlier in Israel's history, the Jordan River changed its movement. When Israel entered the Promised Land, as the bearers of the Ark of the Covenant entered the water, it stopped flowing. And the waters just piled up like a mountain on one side, and it was dry on the other. And the whole nation came across on dry land. And then when the Ark left the river, it started flowing again in full and awesome flood. And so here we see an echo of that. The prophet truly filled with the Spirit strikes the water and it splits so that he and his disciple can cross. And the guild prophets can walk right up to the edge, but they're not getting through. And right away we see a difference in the prophetic character of these individuals. And we also see that what happens next is not for the merely curious. The guilt prophets don't get to see or to hear what comes next. They are on the other side unable to pass because they have not that spirit. And so then on the far side of the Jordan, the two prophets continue walking together and speaking together. We know not how long. We know not exactly everything they spoke about. Only that at some point Elijah turns and says, what do you want me to do for you? And this is really, as my time is coming to an end, what is the last gift I can give you? And you have to love Elisha because he really swings for the fences. He doesn't say, give me a blessing. He says, I would like, if I am going to continue your work, I would like a double portion of your spirit. Not just the regular share the disciple gets. And again, this is not pride. This is holy ambition. This is the one saying that if I'm going to continue your work, I need to have the gifts that are required to get the job done. And so I would like an ample sharing, a sharing that goes on how a disciple usually continues in the footsteps of his master. 
And Elijah looks at him and says, oh, that's just not easy to give. But his, his answer then is instructive. If you see me taken up to heaven, your request is granted. If you fail to see me taken up to heaven, the implication, it will not be. And you'll just get the regular share. Either way, he comes out pretty well. But note how marvelous this answer is. If you see me taken up, the double share is yours. If you cannot see me taken up, basically, you're not ready for that. What a curious statement. What a curious statement. And as we see in a certain sense, as they walk together, we read strangely that flaming horses and a flaming chariot appear and come between them somehow without running anybody over. But now something happens. There is a separation between the two prophets, the one about to leave, the one to continue his mystery. A fiery movement now separates them. A movement of fiery horses and a fiery chariot. And this fiery movement from heaven picks up Elijah and carries him away. We don't even hear that Elijah got into the chariot, just that the chariot took him. In other words, a movement that is not Elijah's own captures him and lifts him away out of all earthly sight. And Elisha witnesses this. But Elijah's statement is remarkable because it implies it would have been possible for the chariot to come with its flame and its burning horses and carry him away, and Elisha not to know that. That there is something about what they are sharing on this far side of the Jordan, where the other prophets have not been able to pass, that Elisha could have missed, however dramatic it was. Isn't that interesting? Imagine that that a fiery chariot comes right through here to the person sitting next to you in the bench. Flaming horses, a flaming chariot, and it comes between the two of you, takes the person away, and you don't even know it happened until you look over and you realize the person's gone. How odd it would be to miss something like that. And yet the prophet is implying the powerful movement of the spirit can be missed in just that kind of a way. The importance of being able to see what takes one up into heaven. There's a lesson here. If we would truly learn, for example, from the, witnesses, the witness of the great saints, 
it's not enough to simply know the details of their biography. What we also want to see is something of that inspiration that carried their heart and swept their spirits up in love for God. Because the more we can see that and perceive that, the more we can come to share in that great spirit of theirs. Note what Elijah is saying. It's not about working miracles like I work them. It's not about being as eloquent and as bold as I have been. It's not about doing what I do. It is about you being able to see what catches me up to heaven. Not simply at the end of my life by the chariot, but the way my heart and my mind are lifted up. If you want to double share in my spirit, you've got to be able to see it. This is what the prophet is implying. As strange as it is to say you have to see my spirit, he's saying you have to see what catches me up, what sweeps me away, what lifts me up. And if you can see that, then you'll share it. Too often in the spiritual life, we live in the world of monkey see, monkey do. We simply mechanically try to copy actions we simply mechanically try to repeat words that someone else has done or someone else has said. And we wonder why they don't get us very far. But it's because they're empty of the spirit out of which those actions were performed, out of which and within which those words are said. And now let's pause a moment and think back a couple weekends to the great Sunday of Pentecost. Because this is instructive for those of us that bear the name Christian. Ten days before Pentecost, Jesus took his apostles to a mountain. And he spoke with them. And he knew he was leaving them. Oh, isn't this interesting? And as he is speaking to them and blesses them and gives them the commission to continue his mission and his ministry, they see him taken up. Note the implication. But there is no chariot that lifts the Lord. He ascends. He ascends. This is greater, much greater than what happened to Elijah where a chariot from elsewhere came and swept him up. This is the victorious Lord rising and taking up his throne. And here are his apostles and the Virgin Mary witnessing and seeing him ascending. And they're told to wait for his spirit. The implication? Oh, the portion's going to be better than double. Note how wonderful this is. And so the Lord who leaves the mantle of his mission behind to be picked up by the church ascends before their eyes. And they separate themselves from the world, from the guild prophets in a sense. And in that little room, 
in Jerusalem, they gather and they pray and they look with expectation for the spirit that has been promised. And note, when Elijah, when, note what happens. When Elisha can no longer see Elijah in the distance, he doesn't stand there and keep looking. What do the angels say to the apostles? Men of Galilee, why are you still looking up? And so what happens? Elisha tears open his own garments. Note the symbolism of opening himself, opening his life. He tears away his mantle so that he can pick up the new mantle. And on picking up the mantle, goes forward, striking the water and invoking the God of Elijah, who demonstrates that he is now with this new prophet, Elisha. And what do we see in Jerusalem? For nine days, Our Lady, the disciples, the twelve apostles, in a sense, ripping open their garments, opening wide their hearts for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, until not a chariot, but a great burst of flame appears above them, separating into individual tongues of fire, not to physically carry them to heaven, but to ignite their hearts with the flame of what lifts Jesus Christ up. And from there, the church steps out wearing the mantle of the Savior to go forth in his power into the world. How absolutely beautiful. How absolutely wonderful this is. But note also how important it is to be at, to first to follow the right prophet. To know what it is to catch, that catches the true man or woman of God up into heaven. And most especially, to follow the Lord. And to allow what catches the Lord's heart up to heaven to animate us and to invigorate us so that we too can participate in that sharing, that double portion of the Spirit that he has poured out with such generosity upon his church. And in just a couple minutes, we won't see a chariot, but the flame of the Holy Spirit will descend upon this altar and the presence of Christ will be here. And we'll come forward and receive him. And we will walk with him within us back to our places. And as you sit in your bench, close your eyes a moment and ask the Lord to show you something of that great love that catches his heart so insistently up to heaven and ask him for a share, even a double share in that. Amen. Even on. The office and the gift shop will be open today until 3 p.m. The gift shop is raffling off a large and lovely nativity set. The figures are about this tall. The set retails for about $1,000. The drawing will be, I believe, in August. 
but the tickets are available now and they're available in the gift shop itself. This coming Sunday, we have a couple things happening. We will be blessing fathers during the Mass this Sunday because the world around us celebrates Father's Day and we'll do that too. However, for the Catholic Church, Sunday is not Father's Day. It is the solemnity of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, that great day where we celebrate with no small festivity this saving banquet, which is his gift to us. That being the case, we plan on concluding Mass up here on Sunday by placing the sacrament in the monstrance, incensing the sacrament, and then leaving the sanctuary area in procession. We even have a new canopy to cover the sacrament as we walk in procession, which will break out and use for the very first time this Sunday. I'm just a little excited. Um, we will head down to the Shrine Church and throw in the sacrament on the altar. The sacrament will be available for prayer until 4 p.m. on Sunday when I will part, impart benediction. The following Friday, June 25th, or 20, 24th, June 24th, is the Solemnity of the Sacred Heart of our Lord. Mass on that day will end with the sacrament enthroned on the altar. We will have public exposition of the sacrament until 8 p.m. on Friday. We still too early to make a call with regard to weather, where we're going to be, but the plan is, assuming good weather, we'll have Mass here and throw in the sacrament here for a time and then have a procession around the grounds of the shrine, concluding in the church where we will pray atonement prayers and then remain, the sacrament will remain exposed until 8 p.m. So we have a couple full days of service uh, around the the Blessed Sacrament coming up this week, and we are very excited about that. Thank you all for having come out to pray with us today. We greatly appreciate your presence, your faithfulness, and most especially your prayerfulness. The Lord be with you. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down upon you and remain with you forever. Go in peace. Ave, ave.